Okay, so there was yes. a woman, maybe it was a tweet or a meme or a meme tweet, but she was saying that imposter syndrome is like crashing a wedding. <laughs> and she's like, once you're in, you may as well have as much fun as you can until you get kicked out. <laughs> it's true. It's, fair. it's true. It's fair. I like that. That's a good. So she's like, good advice. the uh, the hitch is you're the one who kicks yourself out. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to Murder Husbands, an in-depth, episode-by-episode discussion of Brian Fuller's Hannibal, based on characters from the novels by Thomas Harris, most specifically Red Dragon. How appropriate. We are Popsicle, a group of like-minded creators who enjoy getting together to have big conversations for big stories. I'm Justin Penniston, and I'm wearing a shirt my wife hates. As always, I am joined by my lovely Popsicle co-hosts, all of whom are dressed in a way that my wife would more fully approve. First, we have the ever-stylish Kelly Sue Milano, rocking basic black. Hello, Kelly Sue. Hello, this is all I ever wear. Next, we have Claire Thorne. Claire is bedecked in my personal favorite color, blue. Hello, Claire. Yes, I'm wearing a caftan, which is uh, the new Moo basically. Mm-hmm. My mom had Moo yes. and wore a lot of 70s era Moo Moo's. Caftans are I'm doing. heavily endorsed by Hex Comics. Oh, yeah. Excellent. Love a caftan. <laughs> Next, we have Lisa K. Weber wearing an atypical and stunning white lace little thing. I think it's amazing. Hello, Lisa. Thank you. Thank yeah, you. I love it. This old thing, I've had it forever, <laughs> and I just looked at my closet and was bored today and was like, oh, this. <laughs> this old thing, nice. pishaw. <laughs> and lastly, we have Philip Kelly rocking the black short sleeve tee. Mm-hmm. I feel like it must be a graphic tee, but I see nothing on it. There's nothing. It's straight up black tee. Uh, it's though, straight up it, black. If you do like, like, if you do like blue, it's straight up black. It is. Like black, like yeah, yeah. Unlike yeah. my, unlike my personality, everybody. Um, no, uh, <laughs> if you, no, if you like blue, my eyes are rocking the blue today. I can see it. I can yeah. see it from here. That yeah, was why. Okay. Yes. All right. So. Got a very late stage Tom York thing going on today. Thank you. Thank you. Now, after our discussion of fashion, but before we dive into our discussion of the episode, Kelly Sue and Lisa, partners in life, partners in art, will now be partners in this summary of the episode. All right. The insanity continues as we watch Dollar Hyde execute an Ocean's 11 degree hack to get on the phone with Lecter without being traced. <laughs> we retrace our steps in the phone call that ended last episode and suddenly Dollar Hyde is watching himself get therapized by Hannibal in Hannibal's office. We're back in the land of what's real and what's fake as Hannibal basically commends Dollar Hyde on everything from his speech to his murder work. Dollar Hyde sees himself as the dragon to Hannibal 666 in Revelation, and we can all see that what he wants is for Hannibal to worship at his feet. Then, a CGI dragon. <laughs> Bedelia Du Maurier is alive and well and back to being herself. 
That was sure easy. She's lecturing on Dante now, talking about how Hannibal persuaded her to be Lydia Fell and how she heroically escaped the mouth of the beast. Will sits in the audience, his arms crossed in an LOL. It's like, nice fancy work, girlfriend. Bedelia is like, are you referring to me or you? Meanwhile, Dollar High takes Reba on a real life date to the zoo. And honestly, it's beautiful. He invites her to pet a tiger that has been sedated for dental surgery. He watches as she caresses this big cat, never afraid of it, even when she feels his giant kitty teeth. It's no surprise that he takes her home and she mixes him a, part, a martini before they melt into one of the more gorgeous love scenes of the entire show. She becomes the woman clothed in the sun. Downside is that he realizes he must kill her to fulfill his destiny. This is the first team we see, the first time. This is the first time we see Francis and the dragon might not be on the same team. There we go. Next up is the close up on Bedelia that we've been waiting for. And as you may have imagined, this is no shrinking Violet. Her and Will discuss Hannibal and she explains, that it wasn't the first time she had fuzzy boundaries. <laughs> we get a, a flashback of the famed patient who attacked her, played by everybody's favorite hottie, Zachary Kinto. We see that Kinto's Neil is genuinely afraid of Hannibal, as he should be, and is sure that he's being gaslit and mistreated right on. <laughs> In the present, Bedelia draws parallels between Neil and Will's passionate relationship with Hannibal, while in flashback, she basically tells him to get over it and follow Hannibal's therapy. She rejects his plea to report Hannibal to authorities, and when Neil accuses her and Hannibal of being in a cult, not wrong, he falls into a choking fit, and under the guise of helping him breathe, Bedelia actually chokes him by sticking her arm down his throat. She tells Will that she sees killing the weak as valid. Ah. Uh... Will visits Hannibal to share some updates on the Tooth Fairy. They discuss a few things he found at the murder sites, and Hannibal explains the William Blake painting to Will, saying its expression of demonic sensuality. Could have gathered that, but thanks, Hanny. Hannibal then says the family murders are aiding the Tooth Fairy in his becoming, and given that 11 days remain until the next full moon, Will better get busy. So he does, and heads to the Brooklyn Museum, where the original painting lives. Unfortunately, he's too late. Francis Dollarhide has already gained access to the original work, choked out the attendant, and fucking ate the painting. Will actually gets hands on him as he flees, but he ultimately escapes. This is why you didn't make it into the FBI, Will. <laughs> <laughs> That's about as bitchy an end note as, as anything that Hannibal has said, so I have to say. Seriously? <laughs> that is oh, serious man. shame. <laughs> I'm sitting here being like, this is your one job. <laughs> That's it. That that fool gets tossed though. Like he doesn't well, get he yeah. doesn't get hands on Dollar High. Dollar High gets hands no, on No, Dollar High gets hands on him. <laughs> he gets he yeah. gets, really gets like, yeah. <laughs> that boy's like that boy's a paperweight. Like, he ran into yeah. the great red dragon. It's just yeah. you know. I guess if he was gonna go toe-to-toe -to -toe with this dude, Will would definitely lose. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Although, with the exception of Will escaping the ambulance at the end of season one, Will has never been physically imposing. Really, you know, he's he's kind of gotten taken out a lot. Yeah, he's our pretty little princess. 
<laughs> he's looking good in these episodes by the way mm-hmm. i noticed that too yeah is he well he got yeah. himself nicely dolled up for yeah. hannibal you know yeah you but yeah yeah you know well, and he hasn't may been- have completely failed to do the one thing that he's supposed to be doing in this episode but man did he look good doing it <laughs> well it, it we can argue that he hasn't been having uh, until now the sweaty night terrors so that helps your like just general getting up and being able to present yourself mm-hmm. but. Yeah. fair very <laughs> fair so we don't often get too religious on this show talking about hannibal but there's always been a lot of god and the devil in it True. um hannibal in particular refers to god all the time as being admirable for his demonstrations of power over life and death a power that Hannibal also demonstrates and he sort of equates himself with God in a way and of course the show is constantly referring to Hannibal as the devil um and this episode really makes it clear that when we're talking about the great red dragon and William Blake's art piece that we're really talking about the devil that we're talking about an alternate form of Satan in the same way that the lion and the lamb are alternate forms of God, of Jesus, you know? Mm. Um, so I really just kind of want to dig into this, like the religious themes and how they relate to murder, you know, and how they've always been present in the show and like kind of dig a little bit into the killer's need to connect themselves to the sacred and the profane, you know? Do I get to start with the religious stuff? That's a pretty good yours, segue. Claire. Yes. Well, all of these titles, since the we have the Great Red Dragon, all of the show titles are direct references to Revelations, scriptures and mm-hmm. Revelations, um, which is a problematic book and still haunts me to this day because why my upbringing with it. <laughs> they're also the titles of william blake paintings by the way right because they're all based he's depicting Um, actual scenes from this particular uh chapter of revelations i mean you can go you know it's revelations chapter 12 that talks about uh the this woman who's and it's fascinating to me that the last episode that we talked about is titled and the woman clothed with the sun and this episode is and the woman clothed in the sun and i haven't been able to find anything that explains to me why they're making that pointed distinction in a preposition i mean it's just a preposition and i can't Hmm. quite figure it out at the moment but in any case the the what's being depicted in this this image um and the story that happens in this chapter of revelations is about this you know woman who appears clothed in the sun and she is pregnant and this dragon shows up and yes absolutely it is you know symbolic of satan um and he basically terrorizes her and she ends up giving birth but the child has to be you know sucked right up to heaven to protect it um and she flees from this dragon and it it causes a flood trying to kill her and just the the overall misogyny that the dragon has towards the woman is amazing. Uh, yeah, it's really, it's one of those things that you don't want to take literally, but yet that's how I was taught it. 
Finding in the Bible, am I right? <laughs> um, there's watching... some. I, there's there. I'm sorry, Kelly. So I was just going to end oh, no. on that. There is Please. some. It, there is one interpretation that this woman is Mary, and that this is a depiction of her ascension into heaven, essentially as a holy, you know, entity. Mm. But that's a oh, very. So that's it's like a this very... encounter isn't happening during the end times. It's during. Is at the end of Mary's earthly life as she's brought bodily into heaven. Well, I think that's the way Catholicism would mm -hmm. interpret this. It's not necessarily the way it's looked at by, you know, like end of times. Right. Um, you know, there's a whole pantheon of women who are depicted as part of the apocalypse um, in Revelations. And generally they get, you know, the treatment of like, this is the harbinger of all evil in this is to be found in this woman and yeah it's fun cool good times um so just piggybacking off of that <laughs> um thinking about the all of this stuff about god and the devil and why these these men want to create themselves in these images and um it makes me think of this, of the sort of theory that, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna find a way to tie these two things together. <laughs> right now they're kind of opposing in my head, but um, the theory that was presented in the show Mindhunter, um, how these terrible serial murderers had really messed up relationships with their mother. And we see a messed up relationship obviously with Francis Dollarhide and his grandmother, um, that didn't look loving in any way. Um, and, you know, we don't really have to reach too far to kind of understand what Hannibal's relationship with his mother might be like. Um, but I think it's one of these things where re religion, especially in the times that these two killers would be coming up as children was used to shame and to make, you feel afraid. And then to have also the relationship in a mother where this is where you would go to find safety, to also find shame and ridicule. It's sort of like, okay, well then I'm just gonna become this untouchable force as a way to feel close to the things that were used against me when I was young. I want to embody this image of Jesus or this image of the devil so I can feel powerful. And if I'm powerful, maybe I'll be able to have the experience of connection that I'm actually longing for, which is, you know, if you go and watch the show Mindhunter, I'm not doing the recommendation this episode, but <laughs> go watch Mindhunter if you haven't, because it's amazing. Definitely, yeah. <laughs> uh, they talk about how killings and things like this are really all misguided attempts at connection at becoming one or unifying or intimacy or what have you. Um, I don't know if any of that makes any sense whatsoever in the context of this question. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, I mean, it, whether I, it, it does really or not. kind of pondering it out loud <laughs> with myself. Well, no, I think that, I think it absolutely ties into the question. And I think like, you know, it's, it's, it's gold, you know? Um, but there's something, I mean, the fact that it's like, we're, we're talking about this and I know we're going to talk about 
Bedelia and Will in a minute, but just to talk about that for one minute when she is talking to Will and saying like, you're capable of righteous violence. And that kind of combination of words applies to religion in so many ways. Certainly this like, you know, our Western idea of Christianity religion, but then, you know, many religions are based in righteous violence. And it is this, you know, recurring theme of the show um, that's pretty unavoidable. So the fact that we're like really just leaning in in the red dragon arc is appropriate. I think it's also appropriate that this, the woman clothed in the sun is a, is a mother figure. Mm -hmm. She's getting ready to try to have a family and there's something immediately threatening the family. And it's interesting to me that the, the evil that's threatening her doesn't go running after the child that she gives birth to, but continues to try to destroy the thing that gives birth, that creates, that's the mother figure. Um, Yeah. I can't help but feel like, you know, because, you know, serial killers are overwhelmingly male. um, And then this connection between serial killers and murder and then God and the devil. And I can't help but think that it's just a huge case of vagina envy that, you know, like the whole creation of God as a, as a male figure is all a bunch of men who are jealous of the fact that they can't create life the way women can. Do you know what I'm saying? And I think Hannibal is just perceptive enough to know that that makes him the devil and not God. Mm-hmm. And he's cool with mm-hmm. that. Do you know what I'm saying? But Phil, yeah, because I know that you've got certainly a lot of religion in your background mm. and you have been notably silent thus far. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I my dad's a pastor. So religion was like a 24-7 thing. And I'm, to some degree like Claire, but I didn't get as much Revelation Hellfire brimstone and death kind of fear there was a little bit of that i i will add to this conversation that in this sort of christian mentality uh life is seen as just something we pass through it's not you know obviously it's temporary and everything like that but it like dying is the important thing is the most important thing you could possibly go through is death right because that's going to ultimately decide where you're going to spend eternity and i think having some sort of control over feeling, giving yourself that power, I think, to decide who you are in the grand scheme of things, whether you're a god, whether you're the, the dragon who's going to bring about some sort of, you know, revelations or the devil, it ultimately gives you power and gives you that sort of, um, you ultimately become the decider of your own fate, not only in life, but after death. I think there's something going on here to that degree to see yourself as God over other people puts you like we were talking about power puts you on a level of above everybody else. But I think it also puts you on a level that, Oh, well in death, then I've already succeeded at being God. You know, there's, I don't know if what I'm saying is making sense or not. Um, 
but uh i'm with you so okay far. cool mm -hmm. but i i yeah I, I feel like especially with dollar hide there's a great fear of life <laughs> there's a great fear of who he is um there's with both hannibal and dollar hide there doesn't seem to be a concern about the afterlife uh which i find to be interesting as well like there, there's all this religious imagery that that we're being shown and all these connections with that but there really isn't a connection to what they feel comes next after that it's all very in the moment and i you know all very of the now and what does this power mean to them now um that's the i, I don't know I, I i haven't put much thought into that other than just saying it right now and realizing that right now um i get the feeling that francis dollar hyde was taught this story or like taught revelations oh yeah and nothing else about religion right like <laughs> yeah. you get zero sense yeah. that he that there's any connection to like love and like, god and to, salvation or anything else that you know might be positive to around. set yourself as the one to bring that about means that you are above that in some way happening mm -hmm. to you um so in a large way i think it's so maybe a, it's a lifeline maybe it's a reaction to the fear of yeah. the end of days and of being thrown into a pit of fire it could be you know so you're certainly... the one making the pit of fire you don't have to fear it so much yeah. you know yeah. i can and certainly relate to that maybe. because just the process of deconstruction from being taught that this is a real thing to fear that that the rapture and the apocalypse and the end times are all going to happen and that they're going to start any moment like my whole life i was you know both of my parents were convinced that the circumstances of any given year were pointing to the fact that all of this was going to start very shortly. So growing up with this fear of people disappearing and hoping that I'm one of the people who disappear. And if I'm not, then that says that I'm bad in some way. And then I'm going to have to survive this whole, you know, horrible period of time and an apocalypse. And then ultimately stand before a judgment that either ends in living in heaven for eternity or being tortured for eternity like it's deconstructing from yeah. that yeah yeah it's hard it's it's almost impossible it, it is in a way yeah. because there's never a moment where i don't even in the most my most logical you know moments there's still something in the back of my head going well but you're gonna see if you're wrong Right. Well, like you're gonna find that, out that, if you're that wrong. shines, a, and that shines a really interesting light on you, Claire, and your obsession with apocalypse entertainment. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, hundred thousand percent. Me working through. Yeah, the idea of is, yeah, that that yeah. I the leftover. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Exactly. Did you read? Um, well, did you read the Left Behind series, Claire? Oof. I. Oh, uh, yeah, absolutely. Like of that was, you that did. was, that you, was like, <laughs> we, we, uh, in my household, we read the Bible every night with an audio like narration with it. So we would read a chapter every night, even the, the begats in the, like <laughs> every single word of the Bible. And then we read things together as a family. And that was one of the book wow. series that we read. I and, read the beginning of the first one and I was like, yeah, no. <laughs> Uh, um, not so, that if they weren't well written, they were very well written. Yeah. But I was like, I think I'm good. 
So then um, after leaving religion and I get married, right? My husband picks up this book series and start, without telling me and starts to read it because he's got this fascination. He has no religious background and a serious fascination with everything religious. So he starts reading it and I see like he walks in and he just like has one of the books in his hand. I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> Out of this no. house. <laughs> I don't, I, this may be irrational to you, but no, you are not to read those. Yeah. I, I, I want to say this real quick too about the dollar hide and, and this thing. I, I think in a large way, setting yourself up as this greater power means you don't have to accept that you're doing something for a very petty human reason. Um, okay. He's killing families because he's lacking something, because he's afraid he'll never have it, because he never had it. Um, same for Hannibal to some degree, I'm sure. You set yourself up on a pedestal and, and you see this in uh, pastors do this, priests do this, people who go to church do this. I'm going to church this week. They set themselves on a pedestal so that they can then somehow function with all the other shitty things they're doing. Um, mm -hmm. and, and that's what's, you know, Dollar Hyde's murders are to a large degree very personal. They're not some great revelations, biblical thing, but for him to feel like it's not just because I'm a hurt little boy inside, he's the great big dragon, <laughs> you know? And that doesn't sound like a hurt little boy anymore. It doesn't sound like somebody who really? needs Good. a fucking hug well, and this was or also, needs to be, get a blowjob, which, you know. This was also a- Didn't help, doesn't help. No, no, it didn't, <laughs> no. Complicates, complicates, complicates. Yeah, there's, um, no, there's no greater meaning or is, purpose in life than to be the literal embodiment of all biblical prophecy. like for totally. thousands of years right especially if it's something that's used against you and he also has this idea that he's ugly which he's not mm -mm. so where did that come from he's got a cleft palate which is a deformity in a way but so it's like if you're grown up and you have this woman who is your grandmother so mother not around so you were rejected by your mom and your grandmother is here. We can assume telling you that you're cursed or that you are a reject, you're deformed, you're ugly. And then also like, clearly, clearly hammering you a... with all of this revelations nonsense, right? And, clearly and then you're going to be like, okay, yeah, I'm from the devil. And guess what? I'm I am a devil. <laughs> I'm totally. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and clearly he had a speech impediment. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. so. Yeah. yeah. He could be president Wait. now. Wait, pal. You know, it. So the the whole Baby dollar hide adversarial <laughs> God and the devil thing does sort of take form again in the sort of long time coming confrontation between Bedelia and Will. Um, it feels like this is happening for the first time in a way, you know? Um, and it feels like if nothing else, because Bedelia is, has never been more honest, never been more revelatory, never been more almost gleefully, yes, I am evil. Mm -hmm. Um. And in doing so, she's also sort of exonerating Will. 
for his dalliance with Hannibal thus far. Um, and I left that experience feeling like, or at least asking the question, are Will and Bedelia kindred spirits as much or even more than Will and Hannibal? I'm doing a shoulder shimmy right now. <laughs> yes, you because are. Because that first scene at the podium, like after her lecture, I was like, damn, I want to see them make out now. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that was hot. This is Bedelia's like, this is Bedelia's best self as far as I'm concerned. She is yes, her best, best life right now because she's being so honest, because she's kind of clarifying a little bit more for us finally who she is and what's kind of going on with her which we've been so fascinated about this entire time and then she kind of she kind of lays it all out in their kind of like little meeting that they have later um that was that scene was really gripping stuff I just I wanted to like write the whole thing down because mm. it was just like I want to remember every yeah. piece of this that like like I mean God just even the next time you feel the instinct to help someone consider crushing them instead what <laughs> like yeah. it was all just so fucking incredible that she was like I you and I yes we have like a similar feeling like we have a similar kind of like level of empathy which she brought up as well but it just gets applied in this very different way and it also and it makes us fascinating to someone like Hannibal in different ways um and to kind of you're right like to kind of absolve Will a little bit like you are not the cold-blooded type um, but that doesn't mean that you aren't capable of, like I was saying earlier, righteous violence because right. of how compassionate you are. Um, it's just that your violence isn't cold. It's hot. And it is hot. It is hot. <laughs> it gets all sweaty again this, this and episode. And it's not just self-serving. Right. Yeah, right. Exactly. I love that we get this scene um, of competition as well, like, because the bitchiness with which she throws it in Will's face that, hey, I've I've been intimate with Hannibal in ways you only wish you've been <laughs> intimate with him. You know, like I've got, you just feel that like I've got a connection that you haven't had yet. Um, it's almost like this like sister wife kind of, you know, totally. competition, totally, right? Yeah. Like they're, yeah. they're, totally. they're vying for first wife. Um, <laughs> so it's amazing. Delightful. Um, Kelly Sue, I feel like you are, you, you know, I, I feel like if anyone has something like to bring to the, to Bedelia's table that it's you. Um, watching this, no, 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 that's okay. Watching this scene this time around, knowing that it was coming, the, the whole, the entire, uh, scene with Zachary Kinto, where he's struggling to breathe and she's like, I'm helping you, but actually she's killing him very, very violently, um, was so upsetting to me this second time around. And I think um, 
the fact that they save it until this late in the game, when we've discussed it, you know, I was attacked by a patient, right? This kind of goes back to my whole like Blanche Dubois thing that I have with Bedelia where she's so good at doing this thing where she's like, I'm trapped and he's X and he's going to chase after me. And oh no, (laughs) when in reality, it's like, girl, you're the worst. (laughs) (laughs) Like you're the worst. Um, in the best way. Um, it really, Um, you know, and she has this conversation with Will where she's like, you know, we're the same in different ways. And I don't know that I totally agree with that. I think it's something that she's saying to kind of maybe make herself feel better for what she does, because I feel like she does have remorse in a way she knows it's wrong. Um, you know, otherwise she probably wouldn't have lied about it. I mean, she doesn't have to lie about it to Hannibal, obviously. Um, so I don't know. I was really conflicted with my, I was really conflicted with Bedelia this go around and this particular scene. I was just like, mm-hmm. this is hitting me a lot harder than it did the first time, uh, the first like, time around. I didn't see, I didn't really mm-hmm. see any remorse in her in this scene. Like it was not in the scene with, him. I mean, in other, like, yeah, I feel like because it's all couched in this conversation of the bird. Yeah. Like, what do you do when you see the injured bird? And then we, and that's when we see like the most revealing flashback yeah. of her with Zachary Quinto. And it's mm-hmm. like, um, okay, so you're, so as a viewer, you're immediately put in the place like, of, oh, oh, he's the bird. And she's yeah. just talked about this instinct of crushing these, right. like crushing the weak thing. Yeah. Um, that it will that it actually like presents less of a problem for you if you choose not to help this thing, but to just destroy it, then it's gone. You don't have to worry about it anymore. Mm -hmm. And I think in that moment of when she killed him, she was giving into that instinct as Hannibal clearly wanted her to do. Um, But I think that like, probably it was upsetting to her how little remorse she felt. Totally. That that's, that's kind of, that's yeah. a better way of saying it. It feels like she's, it just, there was something about the way she was talking about it with Will this time where I was like, I feel like she's trying to convince herself. This is how she feels. Mm-hmm. So maybe it's not, maybe remorse is the wrong word. Well, I feel like when she's talking to Will, mm. it's like the first time in the show that she's been honest. Right. You know, uh, and maybe the first time that she's been honest with herself about it. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. like the facade that I was attacked, mm-hmm. you know, and there is a way in which Zachary Quinto was attacking or threatening right. because he was threatening their careers. He was threatening, he was basically saying, Look, you guys are trying to fuck with me and I want to do something about it, you know. And so the threat wasn't a you know oh a patient came at me the threat was i'm going to rock your boats Mm -hmm. you know 
Well, and he's going to reveal me for who I actually am. And I haven't even admitted to myself yet. Uh, yeah, exactly. And I'm I not even ready to face that. Yeah. yeah. Well, and in that, have other people. in that regard, Bedelia is probably closer to Abigail in a lot of ways where there's this desire to own this part of herself and be this part of herself the way they see Hannibal being like he Hannibal is full realization he is Mm -hmm. I am this thing I accept it and I have no I have no compunctions about it I have no emotional or psychological uh reaction or trauma from it and both of these women are wanting to learn that Bedelia's kind of at this place, I think, where she's had the the therapy, the Italian therapy session of like living with him and and having the final, you know, maybe the final like walls around yeah. her, her excuses that she's made to herself um, and denials um, have been broken down, and so you know we're getting a fully realized Bedelia. At, in this moment maybe philip kelly you seem to yeah. be the man with the last words today oh do i um well it's you, yeah. you're you, you're holding back you're holding back you're holding back uh, so i'm here to you know yeah um i mean I, I you know obviously this is my first time through so it was really interesting to see how all this went down um ultimately and i again it's i mean as justin you were implying this is all about survival for bedelia oh you're going to threaten my career I'm, I need to take some sort of action or you're going to put me on the same terms as Hannibal. I need to take some sort of action because I, I wonder at that point how much Bedelia was actually wrapped around Hannibal's fingers, you know, uh, how, and how much, how, she, knew and how much she knew, like, uh, like, you know, to give up Hannibal means giving up her and then and they're sort of like that cultish sort of thing, which we've talked about in previous episodes as well. And that, that puts a lot of stuff coming at her that she probably doesn't want. So, I mean, that's interesting, I think um do i i don't see i don't i see the show being more honest with who she is maybe her being more honest with who she is to herself i don't see her being more honest especially not to will she's still talking in riddles she's still dancing around the actual things that she did and what it all actually means i you know the blade runner-esque question of what would you do to the bird uh if you came across it and it was dying um is Again, it's a it's a way to avoid a straight answer to something you've done while still being able to address it to some degree. Um, and I feel that's what she's doing with Will. Well, she's t- I think she's telling yeah. Will who she is, not necessarily what, what she's, she's done. done to some yeah. degree. Yeah, yeah. Um, because you know he still does work for the FBI. Yes, indeed. Um, I feel like we could t- keep talking about Will and Bedelia. Uh, especially just because briefly before we leave Bedelia I just need to appreciate how just how much I appreciate um, her little tidbit that Hannibal has been sending her cards on her birthday and Christian holidays <laughs> that each can cl- include a, a recipe <laughs> so amazing the th- one of the things that makes this so fascinating though is that Bedelia is completely unique to the show she is not a Thomas Karras creation. She's a Brian Fuller creation. Mm. And so it's interesting to, to ask what it is she brings, you know, mm. to in particular to the story of Red Dragon, you know. Um, but I think we're going to have to leave it here because we can talk about things forever, given the opportunity. 
Um, but we've got to make our money. We got to make that cheddar cheese before we move on. So uh, we're gonna go to a quick break, and we'll be back. This episode of the Popsicle Podcast is brought to you this month by HunterBlackComics.com. Hunter Black is the best damn hard-boiled fantasy webcomic on the internet. Just ask series creators Justin Penniston and William Orr. If Tarantino, Tolkien, and Tartakovsky made a webcomic, it might be half the two-fisted tale of blood-soaked revenge that Hunter Black is. Maybe. There's a new page every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, and it's absolutely free. So what are you waiting for? HunterBlackComics.com, because you need a comic that'll kick your ass. Bravo. That That was your feeling. That sounded really good. I mean, I'm happy with that. Me too. If Justin isn't, then he can fuck himself. I hope you send him that in the recording (laughs) of that ad. I'm going to. I'm going to. I, I, I think so. I think so. For all our fanables out there, if you're enjoying this conversation, we have an announcement. The next series that we are excited to be tackling is David Lynch and Mark Frost's classic murder mystery, Twin Peaks. We will be discussing everything canon, the only way Popsicle knows how, by being awesome. You can expect episodes to begin airing in June after our final episodes of Murder Husbands have dropped. So that's going to be exciting. Um, The best way to keep up with all the goings on with Popsicle is to subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you may listen. Follow at Popsicle Pod on all social media platforms or signed up or, you know, do both. Sign up for our newsletter at popsiclepod.com for all upcoming and ongoing podcast and related info. That's P-O-P-S-K-L-P-O-D. And we're back bitches um i'm really not sure that i have a question with this last thing but i was hit so hard watching this episode last night at like two in the morning and you can't do that oh god i was you know (laughs) half awake and but like so at the end of the episode right before dollar hide whoops will's ass Mm -hmm. he eats a fucking painting and not only and it's not a print, he eats the original. He eats the William Blake painting that is tattooed on his back. Um, and watching that was one of the most visceral things on the entire series for me. Like it really hit me in my gut. Um, I mean, and this is the episode where Benelia shoves her arm down somebody's throat. And still, <laughs> that's the thing that really hit me. Why is it hitting me so hard? And does it hit anybody else super hard? Well, we're, or is it just me? I am, I'll, I, as, the, as the visual artist of the group. <laughs> yep. And um, I, the first time I watched this, it was like, 
I felt the same way. Like it had the same kind of impact where it was like, it's just something that, and the show leads you to that place, like whether you are, you know, a fan of art or not. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> because of because of how precious it is, you know, it's like he has to make an appointment to see this thing. And it's like he can't he's not supposed to touch it and look at it through this, you know, plastic sheet. Can't be the um, light too we long. have to keep it safe from the sun um, or from the light um, or it'll fade. And as she's presenting it to him, she's talking about how no print can do the colors justice. And you so you're you're getting the sense of how precious this thing is and irreplaceable yeah and irreplaceable it is before he takes it out and just starts destroying it and um but it's i i mean on this on subsequent watches of this episode um after the shock of that first experience watching it it's like okay well what's really what's he really doing here as far as like so he's destroying this thing that has inspired his creation right mm -hmm. so we've got the two sides of the creation destruction thing again and um there's and we've also kind of talked in the past about like as far as like you know Hannibal eating will or things like that where it's like you you love something so much. You're so passionately obsessed with this thing that you have to consume it. You have to make it a part of you. Um, and so all, so it's like, there's, so I'm able to kind of like go more into like the meaning of the action and be less upset on subsequent viewings about the loss of the painting. Though the first time I saw it, I felt that same loss and I feel the same that it is a it is a much more visceral act of destruction than Bedelia sticking her arm down Zachary Quinto's throat <laughs> totally I was watching it because I completely agree with you Lise that when I watched it the first time I was like no yeah what yeah. are you doing <laughs> oh my god even though I know this is a television show <laughs> and that's not actually happening. I was like, oh, what? And this time I was connecting it to the morning after <laughs> sex scene, which mm -hmm. can we talk about the sex scene for just one minute? Yeah, <laughs> sure. More than a minute. My yeah. God. The images of the back tattoo, her mm. hands on his back, after we just saw the hands on the tiger, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. her, can you imagine in a sexual situation looking up and seeing that? Oh my God, it blew my mind. <laughs> I was like, she's a goddess, wow. No wonder mm. he wakes up in the morning and is like, <laughs> You know what, dragon? I changed my mind. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. exactly. Um, I don't want to be the dragon anymore. And um, sorry for what I did. You need to go find somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> right? He's like, absolutely no. I will so I'm going to go to the source people. and I'm just going to get rid of it. <laughs> and I am going to go and I'm going to get rid of it. I'm going to just, I'm going to eat you. <laughs> I, don't, yeah. I don't know that I yeah. think, I don't know that I think Francis Dollarhide is thinking he's destroying it. I think in his head, he's merely integrating it. He's mm -hmm. bringing the 
this image into himself. I think he thinks that this is where this image has always supposed to be is that he and the image are one in the same. And so he's consuming it to take it in, which is again, you know, given that this is Hannibal and we're talking about eating things to maybe bring them into yourself, it, that's an interesting idea. Maybe, I don't know. Um, no, I think it's, I think it's actually kind of both because mm-hmm. it's yeah. true that it's like, I, he's, agree. I do, I feel that he is like, I feel that same way that he is consuming this thing because of his obsession with it. He wants to integrate it and become it. Right. But at the same time, it's hard to ignore, like Kelly Sue was pointing out, it's hard to ignore the context of the scene. Right. That oh, he yeah. Just had this experience with this woman and it's changing him in a way that the, that the great red dragon, it's different than the change the great red dragon is doing to him. And there's that whole scene of him, of that paranoia where he runs upstairs to like, to have some weird interaction, it seems right. with the great red dragon. Exactly. And that he fears it, that he goes running back downstairs and she's like, I need to go home. And he's like, yeah, I'll take you. Like, I'll get you out of here. Yeah. Um, even and so it's hard. So it's hard to ignore that context. And that's why it's sure. like, it kind of, it kind of feels like both. Well, and even, and that maybe leads us to the idea that he thinks he's destroying it, but will at some point find out that, oh no, I didn't, you know, I did the wrong thing. And by mm-hmm. consuming it, I actually released it, you know, like I made it a bigger thing. It's, that's all very fascinating. I also find uh, to this question of why we react so harshly. And I do too. It's like the scene of the destruction of this original piece of artwork is just so, I agree. It's so difficult to watch and so shocking. And, yeah. and he's not just kind of eating it. Oh yeah. He's, he's yeah. <laughs> he's, <laughs> whole, he's not shy about it. The right. desperation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, I could talk forever about his physical work. Oh, yeah, episodes. his physical oh, stuff and everything Unreal. in the show. Armitage is just amazing. Totally. Um, you know, both- uh, Like, both- Mads, there's a new sheriff in town. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Both um, both Richard Armitage and Ray Fiennes- Oh, my God. Were given yeah. the opportunity to eat candy paper versions of the print. Hmm. And they both were like, no, that's not substantial enough. No, I need to feel. So they both ate actual real paper to do this scene. Yeah. Amazing. Well, and this is one of the rare instances where I think we can all agree that both of the representations, these two representations of this character are equally on point, like just freaking amazing. Can I say something just as an aside that does not need to be included in the podcast whatsoever, (laughs) but I just have to say it because it's just too weird. I just got a text from Jamie that literally says, can you send me the meaning of dragon? <laughs> okay. That is pretty wild. That's, that's weird. That's weird. And vague. I understand the <laughs> and context. Vague, yes. yes, you do. Yeah. He's doing a workshop and wants me to send the animal tarot card. Mm. Oh, dragon. Gotcha. Yeah. But the fact that. But it's dragon. <laughs> that we're talking about the it, timing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I was literally yeah. like, very interesting. Funny. Well, the weird thing about the time about timing with this, and I think we'll hit with Phil and then close this out. 
but is that you know yesterday i heard this song that i hadn't heard in a while called move into me and that felt i i kept hearing this song in my head as as i was watching dollar hide eat the painting (laughs) you know i just thought that was really like you know I was like, ooh, I just heard this today. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. um, um, Phil, anything yeah. to put the cherry on this particular Sunday? I, I would say, I, I mean, y- y'all have said anything I would have said. I don't, I don't know if I have anything to add, except that, yes, I felt the same way. Um, the moment he touched the thing, I was like, whoa, wait, whoa, whoa. You know, there's, there's an immediate <laughs> reaction. And, uh, you know, if I had that reaction to every that was murdered in this show i would be a devastated man right now right. i don't i don't think i'd be able to watch it uh yeah. you know um so there has it's it's interesting that they create you have to have a bit of a disconnect with some of the murders otherwise it's too hard to watch but god damn it it's hard to watch somebody eat a painting all of a sudden the other um, part of the disconnect is that here's this this thing that is treated like it should be immortal and so mm-hmm. it is afforded all of these protections sure. and then you juxtapose that against actual human life being taken and discarded and forgotten and you know yeah i yeah. think that's part of it i i yeah i, really I agree absolutely the meaning of dragon in the tarot spirit guidebook <laughs> is both seeing one's most true self and balancing the ego <laughs> that's uh yeah that's on point very topical at some point damn well i don't know about anybody else but i kind of feel like i haven't gotten enough of philip kelly today um i feel like i need i need more phil in my life and phil i need you to move into me um fortunately we have an exquisite corpse segment and fortunately that is Phil's bag to carry today. <laughs> so, well, Phil, what you got for us? We we have we have discussed a, a little bit already the one corpse that we get and how it came to be in this episode. Episode with Zachary Quinto. Um, he's the corpse. Uh, we see how it comes to be. Um, it's a revelation to us as to how it came to be. Uh, and I mean, really, the, I, I don't know how much there is to say about this corpse, except that there's something to me, not only on a visceral level of Bedelia reaching down his throat, but on a, a very literal level of stealing somebody's words. Like here he is coming with accusations here he is with coming with words that could hurt her. And what she does is she shoves her hand into his mouthpiece where those words could come from. And that's how she kills. And I don't know of anything more poetic. Uh, it's on, on a very Hannibal level. It's kind of poetic. Um, and it's awfully disturbing on a very Hannibal level. Uh, and I think for the most part, everything else is pretty clear to us why, you know, we've already talked about Bedelia, but I, I mean, that's kind of my one big takeaway from that scene. It um, is a bit of a, like that shoving the arm down the throat is an interesting metaphor for gaslighting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, absolutely. So that's, 
attacking somebody's words, attacking somebody's truth. I that's the, that's power yeah. is the truth, the word. And shoving. And the fact that it's like you get the down. actual yeah. shot yeah. of her arm going shoving down into. his throat, yeah. like from the inside. inside. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. like, whoa. You're done without um, it. Yeah. To be honest. <laughs> And I can't help but think about her saying that she escaped the mouth of the beast. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then I'm like, are you talking about your own mouth? (laughs) Well, (laughs) I could have very easily talked about Bedelia, the corpse in this being Bedelia being dead inside. Because I very much think she is. That is the course. Because yeah, uh, I, yeah. Bedelia's soul. Wow. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, and there's a there's an interesting gender flip in this, right? Because it is it is a female character mm-hmm. violating a male character in a way that feels very penetrative. Penetrative. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yes, and yeah. that's I don't know. Shoulders, Jimmy the degree to, yeah the degree to which that is applicable to bedelia in this exact instance but i i just yeah that imagery is very interesting to me uh i do i do want to add just as a i guess it's more of a hot take than having anything to do with exquisite corpse the editing in these last two episodes have been on point to very subtle degrees even the scene between will and I, what's his wife's name help me molly molly where they're talking on the phone and then suddenly he's in bed next to her. And they use this, mm. like they use this a mm-hmm. lot in this episode where suddenly they're in the same space. But if you notice the line where they stop being in the same space is when she goes, ah, oh, you see, you even had a murderer's mind when you were, a, you know, a kid. And she's like, and he's like, no, no, I didn't. That's when they edit back to them being on separate ends of the phone conversation. So for anybody watching these two episodes, I'm not going to go into every little editing thing that they do to help tell the story. There's a lot of really beautiful editing to help tell very subtle hints to character stuff and, and things like that. And it's mm-hmm. from a filmmaking standpoint, it's just like the, the cutout of Hannibal over his own memories. Every time they go to that, it's like re- really beautiful stuff being done in these mm-hmm. last two episodes. So yeah. um, that is my exquisite corpse. Well, we're almost at the end of another uh, episode of murder husbands, but before we go, we like to leave you with something to, you know, enrich your lives a little bit, add a little something. And maybe, you know, I recommend instead of saying giggity, you say shoulder shimmy. But I think Claire has a more substantive <laughs> recommendation to give you. So I want to. That's uh, a great recommendation, Dustin. I can second that. Claire. Yeah, actually. Um, well, this this episode absolutely inspires, is inspired by my love for the character, Reba's character and all of the interactions you know between her and francis um so i am going to recommend the a movie that maybe i think is older than all of us except maybe justin <laughs> which is everybody is like be, being very like that Hannibal's bitchiness is like I know all we've been over infected this episode. by Hannibal's yeah. bitchiness for yeah. sure. I apologize. It's the 1967 <laughs> uh, psychological thriller "Wait Until Dark." Oh, I love that movie. Oh, is yes. directed by Terrence oh. Young and stars the 
amazing Audrey Hepburn so in amazing. an Oscar-nominated role. Mm-hmm. She plays a blind woman who is terrorized by Alan Arkin. Alan Arkin is <laughs> so is good. Amazing too. in oh, this. So um, and is based on a play of the same name, which originally the original cast of the play was Lee Remick and Robert Duvall, which would be wow. amazing as yeah, well. Wow. Right. Yeah. And then I saw trivia note. There was a 1998 uh, revival of the play that starred uh, I don't forget who the main the woman was the main character but um, it had Quentin Tarantino in it <laughs> oh. and I don't know if he plays like the bad guy or what the deal is but that's delightful um, oh no is Marissa Tomei Marissa Tomei Quentin Tarantino oh. and Stephen Lang Marissa. anyway uh, <laughs> Steve, Stephen yeah. Stephen Lang must have played the heavy and Tarantino must yeah. have played the other guy I can't the, imagine Terrence one of the playing. con artist guys. Yeah. Oh the only thing I have taken from this is that <laughs> weren't you born in 1971, Claire? Yes. Okay. It's older than me. I was born in 1971. Oh, right. That's right. I forgot. I couldn't remember. Like, oh, <laughs> yeah, that's the, the best part of age. the whole burn. That's your that's <laughs> your part of the whole burn. They're born the same year. You're year-old. still older than me because you're you're like what six months older than me. I was so. born earlier in 1971. <laughs> Thank yes. you. And many, many, many <laughs> movies, many, many movies came out in that time. None were released in 1967. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Easily the best thing to have happened on this episode, hands down. (laughs) Also, this was not my episode. This is not my turn to make a recommendation. That was a beautiful recommendation, Claire. And unfortunately, I will have now recommended two things. But if you are watching this show and you have not seen Rutina Wesley in True Blood. Oh, oh, yeah, absolutely. Get the two HBO Max. That'd be me. Watch that. I've show. never seen True Blood. Yeah, neither have I. Oh, oh no, you should just watch, watch season one. It's yes, right here. Watch good. the first season. It's <laughs> see- a lot of fun. It's campy as hell. You don't have to bother with the rest of the show, but it goes off the, the rails. The first season is brilliant. It goes off the rails. So yes. good. Watch it and then yeah. read all of the books, or better yet, go. listen to the audio books because the books are amazing. The books are perfect. <laughs> yeah, I love them. Okay, that's all I have to say. Yep. Okay. <laughs> Back to you, Justin. 1960 fucking seven. Okay. <laughs> Join us next Tuesday for season three, episode 11, mm-hmm. and the beast from the sea. We only have three to go. Three more episodes, yeah. right? Oh, Wait, you're can I tell you? Three you're going to make me sad. I know. I'm, I'm so happy that we'll do the next two. And then we have the last one. Oh, yeah. yeah. The last yeah. one. And we have Same. the postmortem, of course. We have four more episodes of Murder Husbands. So it's I true. would yeah. like to propose recording for two hours for episode 13. I was going to make the same proposal. I actually was going to make the Kelly same proposal. Kelly, Sue, and I same brained again. And kind of put, right. the, kind of put our postmortem into, you know. Like the whole one, series? Yeah. Like yeah. one oh, big y'all have seen the show. I have not. I just want to be yeah. clear when I talk about cults, when I talk about like the office being his like sort of brain space, I had no idea they were going to call his office the memory palace. I had no idea. Like this is all my first viewing. That's how smart I am. I was picking up on this stuff in season one. Do you so, want us to congratulate want, you, Phil? I'm congratulating myself. I'm patting my back. <laughs> I, I want to make sure. <laughs> I, I, I want to make. Do, 
do you need a ride to the hospital to the urgent care? Because <laughs> I fear that you may have injured yourself patting yourself on the back there. Yeah, and Hey-o. I just want to make sure hey. that you know, we need hey. to get you a sling for that shoulder. No, to... I just want, but I just, I just want people to. <laughs> know. But that's all. I have act. I have act, to to be fair. Throughout the recording of this show, Phil, I have found it remarkable how much you've really clued in and caught things that I definitely didn't catch in my first viewing. Wow. Now, I do You're believe you've see. had the 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 training wheels of recording a podcast about stuff, and thus. <laughs> looking at it in a deeper way. Than oh yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like people don't watch like this when they're viewing something week to week. We are here yeah, to talk for sure. Coffee shop talk this thing to death. So yeah, but right. uh, yeah, I still, yeah. nonetheless, I have been impressed with how much you've sort of, you know, caught on to things. So, you know, yes, I will also pat you on the back. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> The bitchiness doesn't stop. Anyway, no, join join just... us join us next Tuesday when Philip will brilliantly unravel <laughs> Brian Fuller's intentions in episode eleven, <laughs> the beast and the beast from the sea. You can always help us by subscribing, sharing, and leaving a nice comment. And until next time, well done, Philip. This has been a Popsicle Podcast production. Can we ask oh my God. to Venmo Phil in gratitude for his <laughs>